Hi, I'm Hannah. And I'm Lydia. And we are a pair of bookends. And we were just hoping that we could interrupt this episode to ask you very kindly if you would sign up to our Patreon. Yes, if you have some spare change rattling around in your pocket, we would so appreciate it if you could go over to patreon.com slash a pair of bookends where you can support our work. We have been doing this podcast for nearly two years now and we wanted the opportunity to get to know some of you a little better. And via our Patreon, as well as getting exclusive benefits, you can also have the opportunity to share your own recommendations with us and to chat with us. And it's just a nice place for us to have our own little hub. For less than a price of a coffee, you can get exclusive Patreon-only benefits, such as our Patreon-exclusive book club, where you get to pick the book that we read each month, and also... Early access to all podcast episodes. And your chance to ask our authors your own questions. So please do, if you can, sign up to our Patreon via patreon.com slash a pair of bookends and support our work. We would appreciate it more than you can imagine and it helps us hugely to bring you all the extra special stuff. So come and officially become a bookend. Now on to today's episode. Welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Welcome to another episode of Bonus Books, where we choose the books we think should be put firmly on your radar. Today we are chatting about Body Friend, a poetic and beautiful novel about the relationship between body and self. We follow three women as they come to terms with living with illness and grapple with recovery, a truly remarkable piece of new fiction that we are sure is going to have lasting impact. Catherine Brabon is a writer based in Narm, Melbourne. She's the author of three novels, the first of which, The Memory Artist, won the Australian Vogels Literary Award in 2016. It was shortlisted in the NSW Premier's Literary Awards and longlisted in the Indie Book Awards. Her second novel, The Shut-Ins, published in 2021, won the People's Choice Award at the New South Wales Premier's Literary Awards. It was also shortlisted for the Christina Stead Prize for Fiction and longlisted for the Voss Prize and the ALS Gold Medal. Her work has appeared in Vogue, Australian Book Review and the Sydney Morning Herald, amongst other publications, and she is a regular contributor to Melbourne's Lindsay Magazine. Her latest novel, Body Friend, was released in Australia in August 2023 and was published by Ultimo Press in the UK in January this year. We are so thrilled to have Catherine herself joining us today. Welcome to A Pair of Bookends. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. It's so nice to have you. When I say that I absolutely devoured this book, I mean I devoured this book. Um, And I don't know whether it can be slightly insulting for an author when you're like, I read it in like a few hours. Um, And you're like, it's a long time to write. No, I feel like that's a really nice thing for, I mean, for me as an author to hear, because I know that feeling myself when you get so drawn into a book. And it's harder these days, I think, to have that kind of attention. Absolutely, yeah. I love hearing that. (laughs) (laughs) But before we do delve into the book, which I'm very excited about talking about, can we ask you what you are currently reading? 
Yes, sure. Well, I'm currently traveling and I'm very excited to be in the UK at the moment launching this book. And I, of course, had all these grand plans to do heaps of reading and cafes <laughs> and on trains while I was here. I think I've read like 10 pages the whole two weeks. So, but I did, when I was here in um, London, buy a copy of um, Kate Briggs' The Longform, um, which is a beautiful novel um, out through Fitzcarraldo. And I'm, I'm just starting it, but it's about motherhood but also creative practice and at the moment it's just um these beautiful kind of one page almost sometimes one paragraph little snippets of this writer and mother and her daily life with a child but I know that it's sort of threaded with reflections on the art of translation which is something Briggs does and it's a book I've heard mentioned a lot and I like to kind of keep a book on my radar to buy when I'm overseas it's just so nice to go into bookshops and and buy them um so I got that one at a beautiful little bookshop um, pages of Hackney um in London and um yeah so I I know that when I get home I'll dive further into it but it's funny how when you travel yeah the days are end up being really really busy and long and you don't get around to reading as much as I'd like to so is that the only book that you've bought whilst you've been here no <laughs> oh I was gonna say like that is good going like I, I know <laughs> no no you're, you're so right what else have I bought I bought um The Shining by Jon Fosse the um oh yeah um, Nobel Prize winner and when my partner teased me for buying another book it's tiny this one it's like it a is, pamphlet it, or something I was like tiny. it's barely a book um and then I bought a Natalia Ginsberg as well um from the lovely little bookshop review bookshop in Peckham, um, which I'm really looking forward to. I've blanked on the title of that now, but I feel like um, her books are one that's on my radar as well. So I think that's all. I think I almost bought one again today, but I'm trying to tell myself to not buy too many. But I think I've got three books um, to take home with me, which is nice. I think if I went out, if if we did a swap and I went out to Australia, I think I would have to take an empty suitcase with me because there's, <laughs> yeah. there's so many books that I hear about in Australia that aren't out yet here. Yes. And I, I just get so, like, jealous. <laughs> so I think I would just come and... Yeah, with the, with the publication. Um, and there's some amazing Australian novelists who are you know the greats like you know Helen Garner and you know Jared Monane who are having this real like I don't know I was going to say renaissance but they haven't really had their time overseas like the UK and the yeah US. We're, we're about now, to get Helen Garner aren't we that's amazing yeah, yeah. I'm I've so excited this for we're about to get... <laughs> yeah yeah I just feel like it, and in the US as well I think they're yeah getting reviewed um and Alexis Wright as well is um now getting published in, in America. So yeah, I feel like it's it's great that the, these authors are, uh, are getting published, but it astounds me that they're not already published overseas. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. There was Di- like Diana Reed. I heard so many things about her for ages. And then it, it, I was literally like reading people's reviews on Instagram and being like, oh my gosh, this sounds amazing. <laughs> and then I'd go to look for it. And then we didn't have it. And then finally, I think we got both of her books within like one like within one year I don't know if it was last year or the year before oh amazing we got her book yeah. like both of her books within the space of like six months yeah um, oh, that's a nice sort of um I guess effect yeah. that. it means that you can sort of like binge read one author if all their books come yeah, out exactly time. yeah <laughs> now we need to we've we've started gushing about other books but we need to gush over your book that's important <laughs> so I would love to start on Body Friend by asking about the the inspiration behind 
behind it. So could you tell us what inspired this story and and how what was the writing process like for you? Yeah, sure. So my first two books were very different for me in that they were really inspired by my research. I was studying like history and other cultures and my first book was set in um, in Russia in uh, like the, the 20th century. My second was set in Japan. They were countries I'd sort of travelled to and researched. And I remember sort of saying to a friend when I was just starting to write and in my 20s that I didn't think I'd ever write about anything too personal. I think maybe it's just me being naive, thinking, oh, no, this is my, I like to write about other other places and what I've researched. But then I guess 10 years later I felt like I wanted or maybe I was ready to write something a bit more personal and so this book as you said is a lot about chronic illness in in women's bodies and I've had chronic illness since I was in my early 20s I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and another kind of arthritis that sort of affects the spine and so I've had chronic pain for a long time sort of you know over 15 years I suppose and it's something that I have come to know so well as like a state of of being and I sort of realized that you know the consciousness of pain and how it impacts the way you see the world is is really something that a writer can potentially attempt to convey uh, because we're always trying to convey as a writer you know whether it's a character's consciousness and day-to-day experience um, and with with illness I realized well I've, I do have this window to the world that others maybe one don't have but could benefit from understanding or others do have and maybe don't see represented as much as it's sort of a first person narrative in fiction and so that was sort of I guess the maybe some of the reasoning that drove me to to, to attempt to write something about illness but I really wasn't sure where I would start with it and I I started with a short story uh, a number of years ago um, and just sort of you know often send things off to magazines and competitions and hear nothing but this one story I sent off about a woman with a chronic illness did end up winning a prize and, and getting published and I was like oh maybe this is sort of a not that I always need external validation but I think with when it was something so personal and so close to me I think for some reason I did need to send it out and have a response that was encouraging in order to keep going. And so with that done, I then sort of turned to the attempt to write a novel that was, I knew I wanted it to be fiction, but I wanted it to be, I got really interested in sort of a fiction that was aligned quite closely with my own experience. And then with characters, still all the literary devices that I enjoy kind of using. So yeah, with this book, I guess a very slow process to come to terms with trying to write something like this. But then with the actual writing process, I guess um, it wasn't in a sense easy, but easier in some ways in that there wasn't the heavy research involved in my other books, but it was very, I liked the process of just drawing from my own thoughts and learnings and trying to think, well, what, you know, what has this experience of chronic pain and illness kind of taught me in a sense? And what, you know, what do I want to convey? And then all those difficulties came up of like, it is actually quite hard to, you can say you're in pain, but the difficulty of actually wording it was something that, again, for a writer is super interesting. Like these questions of sort of unspeakable things like trauma that have always interested me and how do you convey that in a work um, without just sort of saying, I am in pain. To convey the experience, the day-to-day life of being in pain was something that was a good, I guess, challenge to kind of find a form for. Uh, so yeah, like a slow process and then, um, but nice, it feels good to kind of have 
have attempted to do to do this kind of novel I mean it's such a, a fascinating subject you know chronic pain and and the way that you you write about it is is so interesting because it forms very much the crux of the narrative throughout the whole of the book you know and at times you even write how words just fail to sometimes they just fail at certain <laughs> points with pain you mm. just cannot describe it I mean yes. anyone that's had a child and given birth will know that you can never fully convey what that pain felt like to somebody else absolutely and that's you know for a very short amount of of time and you do get a baby at the end of it so you know (laughs) it's not it's not living with the pain but it's you know that's all I can I can compare it to personally but again trying to explain that is so hard what was it like trying to translate your experience of chronic pain into the the book because I I imagine that it was quite a difficult process yeah yeah you're so right there's sort of the sense that the narrator does feel that you know she can maybe describe on like a a scale of you know one to ten but then that doesn't really get through and I think particularly in intimate relationships as well and with family or or partners, it's very kind of difficult to sort of explain what it's like, you know, just in a a day-to-day level. So I think I was interested to find ways of conveying more the, I guess, the the thought processes and the habits and the ways of moving through the world. And I think for for somebody with a chronic illness or chronic pain, the way you, even the way you see space, I guess, changes. I just, being back in the UK where I've lived before, it's really interesting because when I lived here, I was in a big flare of pain. And I, yeah, just even being sort of in, in spaces I've been before and thinking, oh, this distance used to be so much bigger to me or this particular staircase in this cafe I used to go to a lot. I notice now that you know, the illness is a lot better controlled. I'm seeing those spaces differently because I feel a little bit more able to do to do things. But um, to convey that in a book, yeah, it's maybe trying to convey how the narrator sees kind of sees the world in a in a kind of a day to day experience. And I guess like recognizing that there are those kinds of like you were saying with, with childbirth, there are those sorts of like silences almost like we can convey that it is painful but then there's sometimes there's just this gap in I guess conveying of that and it that it just sort of is it is part of it so I think it drawing on those kinds of techniques and I think maybe with body friend with the the characters that the narrator meets so she meets Frida at the pool who really hopes that she can control her illness and and by swimming and by kind of having a bit of a I guess a tougher attitude to her to her pain where she also meets Sylvia in the park and Sylvia very much wants to kind of not necessarily embrace the pain but embrace the concept of resting and knowing that that's what the body needs sometimes and I think for a narrator to be torn between those two states is another kind of way of conveying that experience of of chronic illness as well where the the states aren't really static or predictable Uh, you can feel very much like those two different people in a single day or a single hour you can have a great week and you can you know it can be quite frustrating to try and track the cause of those particularly good or bad days and it's not always intelligible so yeah I guess 
was like interesting for me to use those techniques as a way to kind of convey the difference. It's almost like the the state of being in pain rather than the pain itself and hoping that that is a kind of, it creates a bit of an atmosphere, I suppose. And for that reason, and the first person perspective seemed to work quite well, but it's quite an intense perspective to be in for a reader. So I think, which I, I, I knew might happen and the repetitions of back and forth between the two the two women, but I wanted to really put the reader into that because I thought, you know, I could make sections shorter or have less repetition, but then it's not really conveying what it's really like. Almost like the reader, it's an interesting question for me, like if a reader gets bored by the back and forth between the two women, is that is that a good thing because it really conveys what illness is like or is that bad because I haven't edited it out? But I find those art, artistic questions really kind of fascinating too and all of those things were sort of brought up by trying to write about pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you translated that experience to the page so well. One of my closest friends uh, lives with a chronic illness and I was speaking to her after I finished reading your book and I just sent her a picture and I was like, I need to lend you this book like ASAP. Um, And obviously I hear through her, her experiences and how she's feeling and what the pain's like for her, but it's a very different experience to read from inside somebody's mind, if that makes sense. You know, Mm -hmm. it was a very, very different experience to, to read as though I'm living alongside that person rather than just hearing through my friend if that made sense so it helped me gain a much better understanding of of what it's like for her and I uh, I messaged her and said that you know that it gave me this great understanding it helped me understand her need to control certain situations mm-hmm. because you write a lot about safety and yeah. and needing yeah. to the need to feel safe in certain spaces and I asked her you know what that was like for her and it, it made me think you know because I always thought I'd been such a like you know supportive friend I thought I'd kind of supported her well and been there for her but then I was thinking back and there was a time when I said to her one day like why do you always choose where we go like I want to be able to choose for once and then I read this book and thought back to that conversation and I thought oh my god what a bitch like why would I say that to her like she is quite obvious to me now that the reason why she always needed to choose where we went was because it was a safety thing it was where you know it was it was something that she needed the space to be able to accommodate her and her needs and I'd never taken that into consideration I was just like why do you always need to choose where we go why can't I say where I want to go that's really interesting to hear and so I'm so sort of um happy to hear that it's given you that kind of insight because they're not immediately apparent those sort of behaviors as to why and I think I've got something similar in the book where the narrator kind of always likes to walk home the same way yes that's what made me think of it yeah her partner's like the opposite and loves to kind of find a, a road that they haven't walked down before or let's just see where this leads and the narrator's instantly thinking you know I don't know how much extra walking that's going to be yeah it's like a dead end we have to turn around and it comes across as really kind of unspontaneous and predictable but then yeah from viewed from that other side it, it, the reasoning's there but I think that's great if the book can sort of prompt the, that thinking or that conversation about those sort of needs because it's not it's it's access but it's a different kind of access absolutely about kind of the you know the mental load of preparing to go somewhere on a bad Mm -hmm. day or or that sort of thing so yeah I'm really pleased to hear that that no thank you it was a real like you know moment of realization for me and it was that exact moment that you're speaking about in the book where they're on that walk together that I that I had that realization so yeah I'm really grateful that you've written this and you know I really 
cannot recommend this to our listeners enough. I feel like more people need to read this and have a better understanding of of what it's like living with chronic pain and chronic illness. Um, I think you've you've written about it so well. And um, one thing I did want to speak about is you were just talking about space and in space in relation to you know safety, like we were just talking about then. But the the world that your protagonist um, inhabits is is quite small. You know, she she essentially goes from home. Uh, it's like the hospital home the pool and the park and it's kind of going from one to the other and it it creates this quite claustrophobic feeling I mean I was talking to Lydia the other day and I couldn't quite figure out what word it was I was looking for but it it does have that sense of claustrophobia as though she's almost sort of not trapped but kind of trapped as well was this a conscious choice for you to have this quite small world that she inhabits and and where did this choice come from no I love that as an observation because it is something that was a a choice the further I got into the writing because I think I had the option of bringing in other characters and you know the workplace or family or things like that but I decided at some point that it needed to be quite a contained narrative and a very contained narrative really as you say it's such a small sort of geographical and relational space in terms of how many people are even in the book it does give it that kind of pressurized environment I think there were a few reasons one is that the narrator has recently had surgery and so she's sort of in this recovery period of she's not better but she's had joint replacement surgery that will hopefully alleviate some of her pain and then she's on leave from her her studies for that period of time as well so that was a reason for sort of trying to maybe dramatize the relation the the process of recovery and also just the process of an intense period of, of illness and pain in the book but I also think it probably gets to something that we were talking about before about the kind of the closeness of the narrative in the 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 conveying of like a just a consciousness of one one narrator constantly in her body and mind and thinking about things was a kind of a I could achieve that maybe by really tightening and containing the narrative and then I guess using the two women Frida and Sylvia uh, in a way that it almost feels like they're they're the only real part of her life in this stage of the book and it does make us go back and forth between them constantly and I made the decision that the narrator's partner who's sort of the other main only main character in the book doesn't meet the two women because I wanted it really to circle around the narrator with those three kind of relationships with herself with the two women and not spread out any further and you know I'm happy if I've heard different it's really interesting hearing readers responses and and some are sort of wondering oh are they even real because nobody else meets them or are they you know are they actually friends that she just doesn't see again um or, or something like that and I'm quite happy for you know readers to take to take what they will from that but I think it was a way to convey the intensity of that back and forth illness experience um and also maybe I guess it was quite a conscious decision, as we were saying before, for the book to be solely about illness. I think we have, you know, I've read other, you know, other books where a character does have an illness and it's part of the narrative maybe. And obviously I feel like that representation is really important if the illness is sort of a tangent to the the main narrative or part of it or the narrator just happens to have an illness or a character just happens to have an illness. But this was quite a conscious decision to make illness the narrative and make it the plot and make it 
the technique and the form and make illness sort of the the whole experience of the book, which I, I felt like was maybe a point of difference I could try to offer. It wasn't tangential to the plot. It was sort of the main thing. And so I think containing it and making it quite pressurised and potentially quite an intense reading experience, but with the view of really conveying um, and like you were saying before, yeah, putting the reader through that quite claustrophobic experience, I hope brings out that that impact that I wanted it to have. I'm so glad that you were like, some people think that they're not real because I was so convinced that they were not real. <laughs> I was like, they don't meet anyone. Yeah. I was like, I'm in this together. <laughs> like, Sherlock Holmes. But it was yeah, it, I like you. Yeah, it's for the reader, I feel. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's because I think in, in some respects, you know, you could see them as coping mechanisms. You can see them as reflections mm. of, of herself. But I think that um, it's very interesting it's very interesting to see the people that think that they're real and the people that think that they don't they're not it's it's really really good one of the things that I really loved about the book was the use of Sylvia Plath's work um in plastic which if our bookends at home haven't read just go and give it a quick google and give it a read because it's a brilliant brilliant piece our protagonist she's very much kind of apart from herself and yet completely intertwined with her own sense of identity mm-hmm. she's kind of like diametrically opposed in so many ways yes. what was it like trying to create her persona like because she's so well crafted but that there, there is so much to her at the same time I love that you've brought up the Plath poem because I I read that and I just yeah I found it so so powerful just sort of this woman lying in bed in plaster and the plaster is taking on an identity and it wants to be its own self Um, and to me it really resonated I think with just the kind of a confusion of identity that comes with with a chronic illness and its changeable nature I suppose you know even just in my own experience there's just certain days where you know if if you're having a, a good a few days you feel you know you do feel a bit like a different version of yourself you know even just more maybe connected to the world or even if it's just because you're feeling a bit happier, you're feeling much more capable of doing things and then a bad day comes along and you think, oh, who on earth, you know, was that person the other day who felt so confident to do something? Sometimes that thing is even just kind of a phone call or a shower or going out to see a friend or things like that. And I think um, it's such a interesting complexity for me. And identity is something that's always really interested me as a, a subject in, in fiction and just just in general, how the dynamic in a group, in a room with one other person, I'm always fascinated by, you know, even myself, how I feel with just like one-on-one with a friend versus like when there's suddenly like four people or suddenly eight people or something and just how you just makes you feel so different in terms of maybe what you want to even say or do or be versus like a bigger group scenario and so that as a way of you know feeling like a different version of yourself is is out there or is that you are trying to sort of present when it comes to illness as well I feel like those questions are even more more shaped by that illness experience like going even with a doctor you know you're suddenly kind of maybe not quite the expert in your particular illness but you're the expert in your own experience and so writing felt quite interesting in that sense because I did feel like I had a certain sense of you know authority that I couldn't get through you know maybe research but you get through lived experience but then you go to see various healthcare professionals who have a different way of knowing you your illness and therefore you 
Um, and so, yeah, dramatising all of that through the, the narrator's kind of experience with Frida and Sylvia was kind of a way of getting at that. But I feel like the double in literature has always interested me, that kind of character, the foil character, they call it, who like reflects a self of you, a version of you back back on yourself um, interests me. Like um, I feel like Plath does use that and Elena Ferrante uses the foil of kind of an opposite. So doubles in literature are so often like a, a complete opposite, I suppose, like your Jekyll and Hyde, whereas I was interested in kind of complicating that a bit with it's almost like a tripling going on with the three women. And I feel like there could have even been more in a sense or there are more probably floating around in there of the blurring between them because um, I think, yeah, it's never fixed. And I think that's with, it's one of the real difficulties with chronic illness, I think, is that it never is, as I said before, fixed or predictable. And so your identity and how you maybe feel as somebody with an illness, even sometimes when I'm quite in control of the illness in terms of medication and things, I feel like not right asking for, you know, like identifying as somebody with an illness or, you know, a, a, a disability because of a chronic illness. And it's interesting, it's a label that should be helpful and should be kind of something that you take on. And then that's, that's you know, if you've identified with it, that's fine. But it's, yeah, it's interesting to me, even now I feel, yeah, if I'm feeling okay, I feel like, oh, I shouldn't say that because it's a good day. And it just that complicated nature of, of identity is something that, yeah, I've been really interested to explore. And that poem does something um, beautiful in that, in that subject as well. Yeah, I, and I love the sense it brings of kind of like feeling like a almost like a doppelganger. You know, yeah. when you look at a doppelganger, and, but they're not, they're you, but they're not quite you. The, the nose is off or the eyes aren't right yeah. or the yeah. something that makes you feel and I love the way that, that our protagonist talks about you know um Frida and Sylvia and that you know she looks exactly like me from the back yeah you know, yes. <laughs> hair but you know and it, it but from the side profile, quite, yeah, yeah. um I, I find that absolutely fascinating I really do yeah, yeah. that's very interesting to hear and yeah it's it's got a a surreal sort of feeling I think that's what I kind of I like with that doppelganger feeling as well it's sort of there's a slight unease to it which I think feels quite authentic. I really want to talk about the the protagonist and her relationship with Tom is that, how do you say his name is it Thomas Thomas? Uh, Tomash in Tomash. 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 Um, but yeah Thomas is also fine. Is Tomash Polish? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Tomash. Okay. So I, I really wanted to talk about the protagonist and her relationship with Tomash. Um, it it feels like it, it's a hard dynamic to describe because it feels like this really gentle, loving, kind relationship. And he seems like a, a really good man. And, you know, he, he really wants to support her and, and take care of her and, and kind of do right by her. But there also feels like this sort of undercurrent throughout that is like this resentment on both sides. You know, you kind of get this sense that he's resenting her for not going out. And you also get the sense that she's resenting him for even asking her to go out because she's in recovery. Why on earth would she be going out? And so there's, there's this kind of, yeah, undercurrent of this push and pull dynamic between them both which is you know as I said it's very under the surface and you never quite explicitly say it what were you trying to sort of capture by by creating their dynamic yeah I think to me that relationship was a a really interesting one to kind of include because uh like I was saying before 
we were talking about how it's such a contained narrative and there really is just the narrator, Frida and Sylvia, in this like enclosed space. And then Tomash is her partner and he's almost like the the other side that's like encouraging her and drawing her out back into the world in a way post-recovery. Um, but as you say, yes, there is this kind of undercurrent of almost misunderstanding sometimes. And I, I guess I wanted to have that element of the chronic illness experience of just that I guess that relational aspect of what it's like to to try and negotiate that with someone you're very close to, someone who is very understanding and, and you know, a partner. But also, again, those chasms of, I guess, dialogue and language that can happen, like when we talked about the difficulty of describing pain, and then it's this is kind of amplifying that and dramatising it in a relationship context. So how do you sort of deal with being in a relationship while you've got a chronic illness and then how, you know, an, a, a partner can be really understanding. But then I was, I'm so interested to explore kind of the the limits of empathy and sympathy because, you know, they're, they're very strong and powerful feelings, but at the end of the day, nobody can quite be in your body. And that's why the bodily experience is such a singular one. They can never quite understand like, like why your mood has suddenly shifted or why you suddenly don't want to do something. I think eventually those things become apparent. Maybe, oh, that's because of this, you know, the person's now um, in more pain or something's, you know, going on with their body. But to try and show how that repetition happens in a in a day-to-day relationship, just like in any relationship, there's so many things that we, you know, do and don't say or can and can't say. And then when you throw it, you know, a chronic illness into that as well, it just adds to that complexity. And so the narrator's partner is kind of encouraging her to sort of come out because he thinks that he doesn't want to appear as though he's sort of assuming she never does, she never wants to and wants to kind of offer that experience for her to come out, you know, come out for a drink. But then, as you say, the narrator kind of wants to be asked to come, but also wants to have that understanding that she may not be able to. And it's it's kind of, it's so difficult, I guess, because she kind of wants both. She wants sort of, she doesn't want to come out, but she does. And it's that that fraught kind of push-pull of, of being unwell and knowing that your body maybe doesn't allow you to do something that you as a person want to do. And then the, the, the difficulty of your partner understanding that, you know, as a person you want to, but your body doesn't really want to. And that difficulty of that and just how that plays out with like, the simplest thing like you know going out for a coffee meeting after work all of those things just take on this kind of complex nature um and I think yeah it was an interesting one to write sort of as a way of pulling the narrator slightly out of the intense Frida Sylvia um circle that she's she's going in the cyclical nature of her illness versus like what it is like speaking with others. And I did want to have some of that in the book. Like she has a couple of encounters with, you know, healthcare professionals as well. But I did, I liked having a, a relationship there as a way of sort of showing how the tensions do play out and something like an intimate relationship. I really loved the way that you wrote those characters. And I thought that the the relationship was so nuanced. And I think, you know, there's a real temptation now with the way that we sort of live online in you know, wanting to label something wholly bad and wholly good. And mm. I think some readers might read 
Tomas and, and be like, oh, like, why is he kind of leaving her on her own? But like you said, like, there's limits um, to these things. And he also does have to think about himself. You know, he's a, hu a human being himself and has his own needs that he needs to see to, you know, he he might just really need to go out and be with his friends and that might be what brings him joy and what fills him up but for her that's not what she needs so i just think i really loved the nuances of of that and the way that you wrote sort of all the different facets of their relationships and how you know it's such you wrote such well-rounded characters and i think you know that's really important that we read that yeah oh, that's so great to hear and i think you make a great point about sort of not having just a good and bad character and i i hoped that frida and sylvia had that feeling as well because it is easy i think to you know you're, you're looking for those cues to go oh this this character bad this character yes, good. yeah uh, but um yeah it, i think it's more it just feels so much more life like you know or, or, you know exactly. so much real yeah to just have that just that human complexity i suppose mm -hmm. Mm, absolutely and it, and I mean Sylvia and Frieda are both like such fascinating characters and I loved how much the other women well the two women reflected our protagonists so well but I really love the fact that there's moments where the protagonist literally wants to like grab either Sylvia or Frieda and he's like you know me you get me you know me so well and there's this intensity of this recognition of herself mm -hmm. in other people that's so so fascinating and I think part of the reason for that is because I think that female friendships can be so intense and there is this kind of level of intensity that I think you can only really find in this kind of female friendship so is that a topic that interested you um yeah interesting great question I feel like it wasn't something that I intentionally set out to write about female friendship in particular but by nature of these these characters it just became something that I thought about and as I was writing I think I I did think back to female friendships and I think particularly when you're younger you know the the teen teen years in particular when you're sort of you almost are looking for models or doubles or something because you're sort of working out who you are and how you want to be or that sort of thing and trying to maybe find you know that that saying of you know finding yourself but finding kind of you know your identity and feel I feel like there's a lot of that mirroring in younger years and even in, in in early 20s and that sort of thing so I think that did interest me and that intensity of it and now yeah it makes me think more and even like the I think I thought a lot about the sister relationship too because I've got two sisters who I'm really really close to so I think that kind of feeling of another sort of being so alike you um, or you know making you know yourself a bit better really interested me as well so Frida and Sylvia took on quite early on I think like a, a sister slash best friend kind of intensity in sort of the the honesty and the way they talk to each other and the dialogue and I think the dialogue is something that maybe reflected that closeness of the you know potential female friendships and I think I was quite conscious or, you know, even after I've just been thinking about the book when it's been published and talking about it, I've noted how the dialogue is maybe not necessarily like authentic dialogue in the sense of some writers write this, you know, amazing dialogue that you feel like you're hearing it in the sense of like a Sally Rooney or someone you read reading dialogue, whereas like the the author Jon Fosse I mentioned earlier, his dialogue is almost like a bit 
dreamlike, like characters sort of say something and then say the same thing back to them. And I realised in, you know, just in reflection on post-publication that I was interested in that more like dialogue of the the dream world and the interior world because the way we speak to ourselves is maybe more like how we speak to someone we are super, super close to, or maybe just to nobody, just to ourselves, or the way people might speak in dreams, which has that surreal kind of quality. And I, I've noticed, yeah, that that's, that's sort of what I was doing there. And that, that comes from that kind of, yeah, closeness of those relationships, I think. And so the dialogue might feel like, you know, strangely repetitive or almost like, like almost like a play or song-like or something like that. But I feel like, yeah, I'm actually more interested now in the ways dialogue can be used in different ways in fiction. Um, and that was something that came out of those, those friendships. I love that you talk about the kind of like inspiration being almost like teen like Mm -hmm. because there is so much of there are moments where our protagonist she kind of goes you know I I knew she'd be upset if I mentioned my other friend but I'm going to do it anyway to make her a little bit jealous like a kind of like schoolgirl kind of tactic but I loved it it was brilliant It brought a real kind of like authenticity to their oh, relationship. Good. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad like, to hear you. Know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those brought relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I I really enjoyed as well the the parallels between, like you said, the interior world and her dynamic with the, with these two women. And I feel like I can't remember which way around it was. I think Frida is the one that believes that the more they exercise. Yeah, is that the right way yeah, around? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so Frida um, is the character that believes in, like she goes to the pool all the time and and that's where she meets her and she's constantly saying, you know, like you need to come to the to the pool, like you need to be swimming, you need to be exercising, like you need to push yourself and, you know, override those feelings of no, I need to rest. And then Sylvia is like, no, <laughs> the complete opposite. No, you need to rest. You need to allow your body that time to rest. And I thought it was so interesting because it's, it is the dialogue that we often have with ourselves of like whether it's okay or not to rest and whether it's whether we should be pushing ourselves so i thought it was so interesting to kind of think of that in terms of the interior world and her dynamic with them and i mean this is you know i've had those feelings myself and i'm not somebody living with a chronic illness so i feel i imagine that for a person living with a chronic illness that's just that feeling times 10 or 100 i don't know yeah you're so right that it is just a it's a human feeling i mm-hmm. think that we i think we've we've really complicated rest I yes think, as a species <laughs> yeah. We really have. <laughs> yeah I feel like it's sort of you know something that we we feel it's associated with kind of um luxury or or indulgence and I think particularly maybe with it being something that feels like you have to go out to I don't know to do it's a bit like a bit commodified now I suppose that idea of like you know taking that time but even when I think the narrator sort of mentions something like this in in the book where you know you just hear the word like self-care or rest said so many times that it kind of becomes this thing you feel like pressured to do almost mm. it's almost like something on your list to tick off whereas sort of maybe following just the rhythm of what your body needs that day you know it might need more rest one day that you haven't scheduled but it needs that that kind of rest and and I think there's this sort of yeah focus on productivity and um, associating you know a good day with a day that you get heaps done um, and that you you know glorifying like overworking and those sorts of things yeah something that impacts everyone and then when there's there's chronic illness involved that you know, that need for that that rest time. And often you hear it called crypt time, that sort of time needed to 
recover and you know to you know just to feel energized enough to do something else is is something that needs to be much more of a conversation just to to kind of normalize rest as part of you know as part of a day and not have it as something that is you know guilty because I think the narrator mm-hmm. talks about guilt a lot and control which we've mentioned and she she really does constantly struggle with that and she feels like maybe Freed is the better one because she doesn't you know value rest as much but then I hope that yeah the audience would think that yes maybe Sylvia is sort of conveyed a bit as the you know maybe the slightly not the bad one but just in a negative light mainly because the narrator is reading that as like oh I shouldn't be resting and and hopefully the the novel encourages you know, a bit more of a zooming out and seeing, oh, that's the narrator is perceiving that mm-hmm. because she's conditioned to think that rest is not so good and that maybe Sylvia is a slightly lazier one, um, whereas that's, yeah, part of that narrative that she's learnt. And, yeah, I, I'm glad that it sort of starts that kind of conversation, the book, so that it can be something that's sort of a bit more understood. And as you say, not just for those with chronic illness, but just in general, I think. Um, yeah. yeah, rest Definitely. is good. Exactly, yeah, and it's such a toxic kind of perception that we have of rest, and it really needs to be to be changed. Um, just with what you were saying then about like guilt and self care, um, I have a quote that I, I I would like to read if you don't mind your book being read out. No, I'd love to hear something. <laughs> um, so there there is a a quote that that really resonated with me and I'm sure it would have resonated with Lydia as well because we're we're talking a lot on the we talk a lot on the podcast about the fact that we were both brought up working class and there's a lot of um feelings of um I can never say this word uh scar- scarcity 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 is it scarcity okay <laughs> um but there's a lot of feelings of that and it comes around you know money and there's a lot of kind of shame uh, like feelings of shame around um you know class and and money and things like that but there was something that you wrote in the book that was sort of in relation to Tomash and the protagonists you know their own upbringing and how that made them act within their relationship now and yeah I just I'm gonna read it <laughs> let's order in food he said I don't mind cooking, I've spent enough money today. I'll get it, it's Saturday, we don't need to cook. I was so thankful for his sureness in moments like this, a reminder that there was not always a vague moral debt to pay, that it was okay to shrug and sigh and say, I don't want to do anything, just as easily as he could say, we're fine, we can order in if we feel like it. We understood each other's anxieties around money, had both grown up with a tension born of scarcity, the looks between parents and the frustration and fights that only ever seemed to be about money and which made us both feel with the reductive purity of childhood reasoning that our parents would have been 100% happy if they did not have to worry about money. Thomas understood that I could never quite forgive myself for spending what seemed to be exorbitant amounts on my body and its health supplements or herbs or apparent fixes that were not absolutely essential but which gave me at least a measure of hope or sense of control. I just thought that was so beautifully articulated and you know like I said it resonated with with me and I'm sure with Lydia on those feelings and on that that feeling of guilt around money and an upbringing and how it kind of impacts you as an adult now with the protagonist you know she's not only she's not only battling this mindset of of her upbringing and in relation to where she's at now but she's also worrying about spending money on things that will actually help ease her pain right now so it's it was just so interesting to me that sort of pull within her and um, could you could you tell us why you wanted to capture that 
Yes, I'm so glad you've read that part. Um, you're the first readers to kind of pick up on that line. And I, I remember having that in there and thinking, oh, is this kind of, does that really like add anything or mean anything? But to no, me, it really it, does. I'm really glad that you, you mentioned it because I, I feel like that there's a lot of truth to that from my own experience. Like my, my partner and I do have that understanding amongst ourselves that, you know, we grew up with money being like a attention point in, in the household. And, you know, you don't necessarily, you know, know, you know, if there's enough money for, for things, particularly big things, and you have sort of guilt around, around spending. And as you say, it carries through into adult life when you, you just sort of have that association. And even when, you know, you might be going out for this breakfast that feels, you know, ridiculously expensive, there's always just like this little niggling thing going like, oh, is this okay? Will this like have a bad impact in like next week or in a month or something? And, and so I was quite, I was conscious in the book of, you know, around illness and it's, cost like quite literally the you know financially as well and the narrator kind of mentions early on how she makes the decision to take out we call it private health insurance in Australia which you don't need to have but you can have it and it can mean that you can kind of pick the doctor that you go to for a surgery for example and I kind of had her have that choice but feeling a bit uneasy about doing that but then also yeah all of those the costs that come with having an illness but the narrator feeling I guess she is in a I guess a position of privilege now that she can afford to go and maybe get like acupuncture or a massage or something but how those things even I think the word massage is so associated like we were saying before with luxury and Mm -hmm. you know expense and expensive spas or something whereas for her it does you know it does actually give her pain relief and might mean that she can sleep for a few nights um, or it might mean she can you know, go out and um, have more energy that week if she's had acupuncture or something like that. And so, yeah, that was something that I was very conscious of mentioning money because I feel like it's such an easy thing for just to have a character kind of take it for granted that they've got it or not got it. And whereas around illness, it felt like, well, there are, you know, certain things this narrator can can do that others maybe are not able to do because now she's, you know, at university, she's got a stipend, she's able to get a massage here and there. But I think, yeah, for me it was important because I know that that's not always the case for somebody with chronic illness, let alone being able to access, you know, the the care that they need. So, yeah, I feel like it's a, a really important part of it and it's tied in with that complexity of, you know, resting and and self-care, how self-care is even sort of something that seems to cost money these days, um, you know, even if it's kind of going, you know, going out for, to do something for yourself or, you know, buying a product that, you know, might help you and how, you know, that's not necessarily an option um, for everyone. So, yeah, having that in there, I'm so glad you brought that up as sort of a way of, conveying those things that I was thinking about as I was writing and I was very conscious of you know how these various intersections of class and gender and how they they're all impacted or the how they all impact the the chronic illness experience mm-hmm. yeah I think it's really interesting as well that the the sort of justification of well you know I I have to justify give having a massage I have to justify yes doing this going for a coffee with a friend I have to you know I, I have to justify the fact that I'm going to give myself an hour Absolutely. but I have to make up for that by you know doing four extra hours of work later you know so I, right. I, yeah, yeah. I, I hear myself still doing that actually uh it's a massage because of this particular joint hurting or it's because yeah, yeah. you know this has been a big week and it's kind of like 
yeah, you're mapping it out and and sort of um, making it seem like it has to be, yeah, that has to yeah. be a good cause and effect or a good reason and, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a, a fascinating, fascinating subject. And it's a brilliant book. And I cannot tell you how glad I am that we got the chance to read this. Um, because it was just amazing. And like I said, I devoured it in about, I mean, how long did it take me, Hannah? Less than a night. Like, yeah, I was very fast. I'm so pleased to hear. <laughs> I couldn't, I literally couldn't stop. And I was desperate for Hannah to get to the end so we could talk about it because it was just, it's just such a brilliant, brilliant book. Before we let you go, I would just love to ask you what are your literary influences and can you tell us about them, please? Yes, sure. Um, this is when I always have a million people I want to say and then I go, yeah, I feel like um, Rachel Cusk is a big one. I feel like mm-hmm. I really like her kind of interior. I love in- the interior kind of um, novelist, I suppose. Um, and uh, W.G. Zabold, I read a lot of him when I was younger. Um, and again, I think I'm so drawn to that like inner, inner monologue kind of narrator that you really just kind of get absorbed in. And Jon Fosse, um, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, his his beautiful books as well. I feel like they 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 draw you in. There's the his his book Septology, which doesn't have like any full stops and it's like this 800 page thing um is amazing because you get into the rhythm of it I really love rhythm um in in books um and how um it can draw you into a narrator's frame of mind and I quite like that sort of lulling lulling Mm -hmm. sort of sense that of of being drawn in and I think yeah probably those three and it makes me notice how much I love yeah, quite interior narrators and, and monologues and that sort of thing and that dreamlike dialogue and that sort of thing. And I can see how that definitely influences the way I think about writing and the books I like to read, but then also how I write myself. Yeah. Amazing. And if you are going to read Jan Fesse, don't, maybe don't start with Septology, maybe start yeah. with The Shining. <laughs> I mean, I think I recommended him earlier to someone and I said, so maybe start with Alice at the fire and now yes. probably the sh- a shining as well because they're this nice little snippets and you can get a taste of his style yeah. rather than feel like before you're diving you into the ocean before you take on seven books in one yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> in Australia they've come out I think in maybe here as well in three separate yeah, books yes, rather yes. than and I bought them as the three separate ones which I quite like it's easier to read on the train as well but just also <laughs> a bit more approachable yeah yeah sure. I, I I work in a bookstore and whenever whenever we get a new copy of like Sectology and you know it's in the bag in the bag because it's so heavy <laughs> yes yeah for sure <laughs> Last but not least, before we let you go, Catherine, we have to ask for a recommendation. So do you have any cultural recommendations for us today? Oh, wow. Is that any anything I've been... Anything, anything that you've been else? watching, listening to, reading, it can be anything at all. Oh, wow. I feel like I've been going through the... They're not very um, niche recommendations because that, I feel that's like fine. watching the like it's awards season type type of films. So um, I did recently watch um, Killers of the Flower Moon, mm. uh, which I did find with, um, yeah, is it, oh, what's her name? Lily. Gladstone. Gladstone. Yeah, I just blanked on her name. And, yeah, I 
I found, yeah, Lily Gladstone and now I've watched a couple of other things that she's in and I'm just realising what a force she is. And I just felt that, yeah, that film really, really moved me. And I think coming from Australia, you know, where we have, you know, a settler colony um, where, you know, a lot of us have, you know, we all live on live on stolen land. I live in Nam, which is the traditional name for Melbourne, um, and it's the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And so, I think that that film for that film to have such a an impact, um, kind of on a I guess you know awards and commercial mm. kind of scale, to me felt really important and made me think a lot. I guess as a as a white Australian living living on that land. So yeah, not a particularly niche <laughs> recommendation, but one that just has kind of yeah been in my mind. And then I've been really pleased to sort of see Lily Gladstone's sort of success that she's having um no I mean you've given me the push to watch it because I've not got round to that one yet so the long one my, my partner I watched it in, in a couple of nights actually because it was it was so so long yeah. and I went full asleep in the films but it was <laughs> it was amazing it was more that's just more me being a tired person but yeah it's a long one but once you get into it it's it's absolutely incredible yeah and I I spoke to my friend who's a big cinema geek the other day and he was like I am 100% certain that she's getting like best best actress at yeah, the Oscars. There's really, no way really that <laughs> it would be amazing. Um, yeah. Catherine, thank you so much um, for joining us on A Pair of Bookends today. Where can our listeners find you on social media? Yes, sure. So uh, mostly on Instagram and it's just my full name, Catherine Brabon. Um, and that's where I've been yeah posting my lovely UK trip and all my bookshop visits and Yay. all of the fun stuff uh, and what I'm reading and that sort of thing mostly yeah that's what we love um so yeah. I will pop a link to that in the in the show notes um but as we said before your book is um out now in the UK and it is published by Ultimo Press which I believe is also the Australian publisher as well right yep they have Perfect. Australia and the UK yeah. wonderful and it's already out in Australia and um, it's published by Bloom in the US am I right in thinking that yeah it's coming out in July actually um in the US so that's another yeah sorry US listeners to look forward to <laughs> yeah a few more months ahead but they but they can pre-order exactly. um, which which always helps um novelists Definitely. so let's do that um I will pop a link to those to those in the show notes for pre-orders and for our UK listeners um, who can get their their copy straight away. As it's become obvious over the episode, we absolutely love this book and cannot recommend it enough. Um, go buy yourselves a copy, go give Catherine a follow. And if you want to give us a follow, you can do so at a pair of bookends pod on Instagram and at a pair of bookends on Twitter and TikTok. And that is all we've got time for. So thank you again, Catherine. It's been so lovely to chat to you today. Thank you. No, it's been such a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. And goodbye.